0: I'm Tim Lupinacci, CEO of Baker Donaldson. Welcome to the Everybody Leads podcast, where we empower individuals to embrace their leadership potential. Join me each episode for inspiring stories from corporate executives to everyday change makers who lead without titles. You'll discover actionable leadership principles that are honed in the trenches and that anyone can apply regardless of your current situation or past mistakes. Because here, We believe that everybody leads. All right. Well, I'm very excited today to welcome Dan Hasseltine to the Everybody Leads podcast. Dan is the lead vocalist of the band Jars of Clay, which began as a group of college students who got together in 1993. They released their self-titled album in 1995 and became widely known following the release of their first hit single, Flood. For more than 20 years, they've released a dozen plus albums to critical acclaim. They built a deeply loyal fan base and have won multiple Grammy Awards. Following a trip to Africa in 2002, Dan founded the nonprofit organization Bloodwater to raise awareness and resources for the poverty and AIDS stricken regions of the continent. He saw how water and the HIV AIDS crises are inextricably linked, and that Africa is disproportionately impacted by both because half of the world's population that lacks safe access to water live in Africa. And Of the global population living with HIV, almost 50 percent live in sub Saharan Africa. Since then, Bloodwater has worked tirelessly to achieve the bold mission of ending the water and HIV AIDS crisis in Africa. The real differentiator with Bloodwater uh, is that the entire organization joins with and supports local partners on the ground in Africa to make lasting impact and change uh, in Africa. I was honored recently to join the Bloodwater Board and uh, have seen firsthand the significant impact it is having. Dan also has become a successful composer for television and movie soundtracks, including the hit television series The Chosen, which has been watched by over 100 million viewers, and the really recently released major motion picture The Shift. Dan is also will compose music for the planned December 2024 Lionsgate picture release of the best Christmas pageant ever. I also saw a note that Dan is part of a collaborative group of friends calling themselves the River Criers, which sounds a lot like the traveling Wilburys where friends get together and create music with no expectations beyond making great music. So hopefully we'll have some River Criers music to look forward to in 2024. My colleagues know how much I love and am fueled by live music, and there is no musician or group that I've seen live more than Jars of Clay. So I'm really excited for Dan to join the podcast and unpacking his leadership journey. So Dan, welcome to the Everybody Leads podcast.
1: Wow, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: I really want to unpack sort of Dan as a leader, and I can imagine you're a college student. You're playing music with you know some friends. You join that form this band. Get some. Uh, you win a contest, I think, on one of your songs, and that kind of leads to a record deal. And then all of a sudden, it blows up, and there's like jars of clay ink that you've got to somehow, I guess, lead all of that. So talk a little bit about your leadership journey through that process and what you learned. Sure.
1: Well, you know, it, it it's probably. Um there's probably going to be a thread through this entire conversation. Um, You know, beginning with um, somebody had to do it. I think that was the, (laughs) that is the the statement initially was somebody had to do it. We, um, you know, when we first became a band, you know, we're in our, we're sophomores in college and don't really know that much about the music business. And all of a sudden we're kind of, pushed into a career we start our careers at age 19 age 20 which um i have uh, a 20 year old son right now and i can't even imagine him being kind of uh sort of burdened with the weight of of the leadership of a a corporation and um yeah and and you know functioning as someone who has to take care of employees and all of that it's it's um it's a little crazy to think about. Um, but we really, uh, you know, what we cared about was music. And this will be another thread, I'm sure, because most of my leadership journey, um, what I've learned, the way I've grown has come out of music in some form or fashion. Um, even if it was just as a, as a child, um, I took a lot of my emotional cues from the music I heard on the radio you know, learning about things like love or, um, justice, uh, any of those sorts of elements really came out of the songs I was listening to. And, um, and it was, it was a bit of a signpost for me to figure out how do we, um, uh, how do we, how are we supposed to feel about certain things? How are we supposed to act? How are we supposed to navigate in the world? And so music was really, um, Kind of my anchor point,
0: uh, or um, yeah. So, so that was really the big thing starting out. It really is amazing to think about it. Twenty years old. Were there individuals who really inspired you or helped you along that leadership journey of that really just, like I said, blowing up and having this organization that you now needed to think about running? Certainly, yeah.
1: I, fortunately for me, I, I had always grown up in an experience with you know having whether it was you know church leaders or just other people around me they that that seem to care about my journey. And especially coming to Nashville, um, leaving college, moving to Nashville, there's always somebody to, to be able to call or that just was able to offer a bit of advice. I remember <laughs> one of the first things when we won this, this competition and started gaining interest from different labels, uh, a sound guy from one of the clubs came up to me and he said, Hey, I just want you to know, in case you have big ideas, you're never going to make any money in this industry. <laughs> and I thought, wow. well, that was good. So that was the first piece of advice I I received. Um, <laughs> but no, they were overgrounded. The yeah, I would say that you know the music industry is full of people who are willing to give their opinion. I think real leadership showed up for me almost a decade later when. Uh, we found ourselves trying to grapple with what was happening in Africa around HIV. I was just fortunate to have quite a few mentors. Uh, there's a, an author, uh, Dr. Steve Garber, who um, is probably the most formative of, of mentors that I had over the years, who um, even helped to dis- decipher why why would a kid go and get an education? Um he was the one who, he described these two pathways. He he would describe that, you know, most people, they get an education, and they try to gather resources that, you know, become financially sound uh, because they have a good degree and they get a good job. And um, the reason they do that is so that they can kind of control their environment and pad themselves from the suffering of the world. And I remember him telling me, he said, but there is another way where, where you gain experience, you gain wisdom, you get an education to, yeah, get a good job, but really so that you can enter into the suffering of the world. Mm. And he presented that in over and over, like he made his case. He's written quite a few books on vocation. and But that really stuck with me, that idea of how do I take what I have, the resources that I have, the gifts that I have, And apply them to enter into the suffering of the world, Hmm. and I think that was a huge turning point for me. That that set the stage for how I I, how I still live my life. Um, How do I take what I have and um, apply it to, you know, trying to help answer complex questions uh, without, you know, falling into the trap of using simple answers.
0: That's so amazing, and I'm I'm gonna immediately uh, when we get off the video, like get some of those books by Steve Garber, because I think that's so foundational. And now it really is the thread, something I've been so moved and inspired by with, you know, your songwriting and and with your work with HIV AIDS is that it is it's not easy uh, and it's sometimes not the topic or the um, thing that people want to talk about. Uh, I know when you I think were first thinking about this and grappling with like forming blood water uh the public in early 2000s really didn't like talking about hiv aids particularly you know in the in the church community but even i think more broadly it was still something that was taboo and yet you've been willing to step in through through the music but also through bloodwater to really um hit that front uh, head on and i guess that really ties back to what you were just talking about that influence you had yes and i you know when i, I was a child of the 80s
1: and so i remember live aid i remember yeah when all of my musical heroes got together on a stage and, you know, we all know that the, the story of Live Aid didn't quite turn out to impact Ethiopia in, in as positive a way as we would have hoped. But um, but the idea that they would all gather together to um, apply, yeah, their popularity, their resources to to talk about something that no one wanted to talk about even then, that had an impact on me. It was artists like, you know, U2 and, Peter Gabriel, who you know, did a lot with social justice and the you know the idea of providing cameras uh, for people who are watching and experiencing atrocities in their communities and uh, you know things like that. I, I saw there's this intersection between music and uh, and justice, music and activism that um, that I liked. I I found that to be it was the sweet spot especially as a child who also grew up in the church uh, where you know my experience in the church was nobody quite knew where to apply the things that they were learning in uh in the real world and so the application came through. What I was seeing from the
0: musicians that I loved. That's so that's amazing. I actually still have a set of VHS tapes where I recorded Live Aid live while I was watching it. I mean, and, I, and it took multiple of them because you know it was all-day thing. So yes. Um. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, I know starting a nonprofit, taking a vision and starting it, and then leading that as being a founder—that's a lot of different sort of leadership muscle I would expect you had to exercise then. You know, with everything you were doing—tours and, and and music and albums—talk a little bit about that, that that growth period you had of really forming Bloodwater and then leading that through the early years. Sure, um, yeah. Bloodwater, as
1: a as an initial vision, was um, it was a, a huge undertaking, and uh, it really, you know, I think there's sort of two schools of thought. I think when it comes to to action, you know, some people say if you talk about something too much, you'll never actually do it. But then the other side is that, um, if you don't talk enough, you never quite get to the good idea and the good foundational place to start. Uh, and, and so we, we actually talked about blood water for a long time. Uh, it, it initially started as we just want to raise money and help provide clean water for people in communities where, um, where HIV was really prevalent. And so we would go, on college campuses, when JARS was touring, we would set up in the afternoon, we would rent out a lecture hall and invite oh, students wow. to come in in the morning and just have a conversation with us about HIV, what it looks like, what it really is, how to kind of debunk some of the um, the stigma and language that it currently had, especially in the U.S. Um, you were right, like when you were uh, talking about the kind of the aggressive stance against helping was mostly coming from a lot of the church communities where they said, look at what we're experiencing is their, this is God's wrath for their um, indiscretions and we should just leave them alone. And um, I was not satisfied with that. And in America, it was also called, uh, I think the term that they used was the gay cancer. So just an awful awful term to use to describe something. And so it really, there were a lot of hurdles around HIV and AIDS. How do you talk about this? How do you get people invested in this? And nobody really wanted to. So we found that maybe clean water was the route. We knew that if you could provide clean water in communities where people were HIV positive, that it would have a a substantial impact on the quality of their life, their ability—even if they had access to medicine—to be able to, um, to then you know have produce. Uh, if you're taking HIV meds, but you're also drinking water that's full of parasites and diseases, then it's not helping. So we knew that just pro- being able to pro- provide clean water would be a huge gift. So, so we sort of started out with that, and we would raise money on campuses. But it was still this small kind of fledgling organization that didn't quite know. We knew what we wanted to do. We didn't know how we wanted to do it. And over the span of a couple of years, uh, we realized, oh, you know, there's probably a better way to do this than the traditional way. And we had friends that would come in and talk to us about, hey, have you ever thought about the way that development work happens in these places? And we said, well, you know, we're a band. We're musicians we don 't really have a lot of you know, knowledge of all of that and he said well let's 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 dig in a little bit and let's see if we can figure out where the the broken pieces are and and we We learned a lot about the way that the current models at the time for development work um, were really just stripping people of their dignity, where it was really making people feel more helpless and less capable and we thought well that's that's awful and we think that that could be a root cause for why some of the global health issues we face have not been solved because when you i don't know every every kid probably has an experience right where they're working on something and somebody's over their shoulder saying oh just do this do that and then at some point that person moves you out of the way and says let me just do this and you realize okay, maybe the the thing that you were working on got fixed. But now, as a kid, I'm thinking, oh, well, I don't have the capacity, the capability to actually do this. It, it puts me in a position to fail again and again or to not even try again. And that's sort of the way the development world approached things. We would come in and say, oh, we will fix your problem, uh, inadvertently saying, you don't have what it takes to solve the problems in your own community. And and that really changed everything for us when we recognized that and said, okay, we want to start telling a different story. Uh, let's change that narrative. How do we change that narrative? And that just became about asking questions. And the big question for us was always, what are you already doing? How can we help? And that really changed everything for the way that we approached. And because we were a band you know, we didn't have the knowledge, we didn't come in with this, this kind of large ego or this sense of, yeah, you know, oh, of course, we're the experts. <laughs> we came in going, we don't know anything. So you're going to have to teach us how to help you. And, and it was surprising how few times, uh, you know, a, a group of very capable Africans, how few times they had actually been asked that question, what are you doing? How can we help? So that, that, that was the big story.
0: That's I mean, it's so amazing. There's so much applicability beyond just that, because I'm sitting there thinking I see situations occur a lot in business where somebody comes alongside and a younger person in the organization is doing something and they don't do it fully correctly. And then you push them out. Oh, I'm going to get it. I'm going to take it and get it done. And then you're right. It, it puts this um, situation where um, the, the younger person doesn't feel uh, needed or that they've got the ability to succeed. Another thought about, you know, leadership is a lot about um, learning from mistakes. Is there an early example, whether with the band or with Bloodwater, Water, where um, there was something that you made a mistake, but it helped you get better and learn from it and pivot from it into the future?
1: Certainly. I feel like that's, that's a huge piece of, uh, of, of life is fail often, fail quickly, and you know, get back up and work. And also just don't be afraid to fail, right? That's, that's probably what prevents most of us from doing things that we could be doing is we 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 don't do it because we don't think we're good at it or we're gonna fail <laughs> I think particularly I mean bloodwater certainly has had the lion's share of those those kinds of failure moments or um, ways where we, we we really learned from things you know, Um early on, all of our funding was coming in from um, it was like small donations from people. We were making about a million and a half dollars a year. Um, but it was uh, 80% donations under $50. Mm. So it was a large group of people. It was like a movement, but but it was all people who um, who just had heard about blood water. They did lemonade stands. They did bake sales, all of that. Mm. Well, we thought we were in the clear and it was such a great, way to do things, because we had so many people under our belt, and we felt like, oh, this is great. Everybody cares about this mission. Um, And then the recession hit. And almost all of our funding, really, because it was these small gifts, but it was all disposable income for people, it was the first thing to go. And we ended up realizing that we had committed all of this funding to uh, projects in Africa and then we couldn't we couldn't make good on our promises and that was a huge failure for a lot of reasons certainly because we know the urgency of the water crisis is that you know we don't think about it every day but people die every day from dehydration or viruses children under 3 you know it's a death sentence if they if they become overly dehydrated so we were realizing that our Inability to see like the broader picture of oh we need to diversify the way that we do our funding and um, provide some opportunities where um, where we know ahead of time that we can fund all of these programs and things so we really um, that hit us very hard. Uh, my co-founder Jenna Nardella uh, actually wrote a book called The One Thousand Wells Project, and I think she documents that very well in the book that season when, when we realized, oh, we have made a huge mistake. We have really, uh, not looked far enough into how we're supposed to do this. And, uh, yeah, it was devastating for us, but, but on the other side of it now, Bloodwater has a very diverse funding pool for people in all different sort of areas and aspects of, um, of kinds of funding. And, and that has allowed us to be, a stable organization, and to promise the way that we're going to do these projects um, is already pre-funded, and you know there's just a lot of things that come out of that 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 have made Bloodwater a much much stronger organization, allowed us all to learn a great deal,
0: and uh but that was a that was a really big one for us. I can imagine, and and I do think that that's such a great principle about. Uh, I think a lot of times we're afraid to fail because it's something that's going to people are going to think we're not perfect. Well, none of us are perfect and I make mistakes every day. <laughs> and so we have to I yeah. mean like you said, fail fail fast and then learn from it uh and then and then move forward. Um well so you're right in the middle of um a lot of the creative arts and all, uh and you're inspiring other people. So what inspires Dan? I mean, what gets you fired up uh you know, people or things? Um, you know, a great story
1: is is the thing that that I love. Let's see, I guess in the last year and a half, one of the things that I've really learned, I've learned a lot about the ego. And maybe this is the is the thing that's been inspiring is when I come across a person that, that I see has recognized um, their ego, has been able to keep it in check, and um, that holds things freely, that's inspiring to me. And so it's it's not the people going after the accolades or uh, you know trying to find the the next award or status or title. Um, it's it's really the people who who are working um, in a lot of ways like a good. It's funny. It's like a good film soundtrack. Uh, and I you know obviously now that I'm in the world of film and television, I see this. But the you know when if you're doing a great film soundtrack. People aren't going to notice it. If it's really great, it's, it's simply additive and supportive to the story being told. Soundtracks are the subconscious of the film. And so they're simply there. The music is there to provide uh, signposts for what the story is, where the story is going, and how to keep up. And so I think about leadership in the same way. Like a great leader... You often don't know that they're leading, because they're not seeking out the title of leader, right? They, but what they do is they remind you what the story is, and they tell you where it's going, and then how to keep up, like how to how to follow it, how to keep moving forward. Um, and I think that that really matters. And so when I see somebody who's doing that. You know, often they're hard to see because if they're doing it well, again, they're they're not waving a flag. They're not pulling you out of the story. They're simply additive to it. And you wake up one day and you realize, oh, that person is has moved me forward in this story. And uh, whether that's the story of the company, that's the story of your own personal growth, um, your own abilities and skills. Like the person is really leading as an additive and supportive role.
0: So, uh, so when I find people like that, that's inspiring to me. Wow, that I mean, that is really golden um, thought process. Because, like you said, I mean, it is interesting to compare the the music soundtrack, but then, like that is exactly right. I mean, there, we all know people who are trying to be out front and everything, and and they may have titles and all that stuff, but are they really impacting people to drive forward, you know, helping them drive forward their own story? That um, that's really wise, Dan. That's, I appreciate you sharing that. Sure. So with all you've got going on and, and, you know, we've talked about deadlines and everything. How, are, do you have um, some daily disciplines or ways that you stay grounded that you've got to just make sure um, to help you in, in leading and in, in all and refuel your creativity or um, what does that look like?
1: Well, it's <laughs> it's funny because in this season,
0: <laughs> uh, it's been
1: so uh, overwhelming that most of my habits have sort of gone out the window. <laughs> so I can only speak to the. Uh, the things that I used to do <laughs> before this current season. But um, I mean, I used to go, I think taking walks is uh, is massive for a lot of reasons. Uh, not only the, the physical health benefit, but, but just the ability to breathe, um, to move in a left-right sort of pattern, the way that it impacts the brain. Going on walks was always a, a big help to me in the morning. I drink a lot of coffee. I probably shouldn't drink as much. I, I like to take some time and just sit and have a cup of coffee. Uh, I'm an introvert, and and I, I'm an inward processor most of the time. And so to have the opportunity to just be quiet and settle is, is huge. I need that in my day. Um, it helps me function for the rest of the day, if I know I can kind of get a few things, uh, in place, uh, through that kind of quiet experience. I like to do some sort of word game, something like that to stimulate my brain also. Yeah, I think that's it. And then I, I listen to a, a lot of music, uh, for me, like, as I said, that thread of music helps me process. Um, there are seasons when I am not really able to tap into my emotional space and, you know, I'll, I'll have a need to go and have a good cry uh-huh. or have something like that happen, you know? And, and, and sometimes it really takes music to get me to that place where I can, I can start to feel that thing. And, um, uh, so it's almost like a side door in cause I'm going to try really hard not to be emotive. I'm, you know, I, again, I grew up in the eighties and under, you know parental figures who that just wasn't a thing back then so that's really helpful for me as just a discipline is listening to music finding something that taps into and allows me to like to find that emotional space and that emotional release
0: yeah I I wonder if it was something about the 80s because I was I'm the exact same way about um, I need music I need art in my life um, or else I'm not feeling those emotions and my wife and daughter can kind of make Lovingly make fun of me when I can tear up over a song or a, a TV <laughs> yeah. show or you know something, but it's it's that connection I think that I need. I'm similar like what you're doing. I need to help keep me going, driving forward. So that's, yes, um, I appreciate that. Um, well, so you mentioned um, several things already, but uh, anything interesting or inspiring that you've read or listened to, it, it maybe in the leadership vein, but you've also talked about you've been working on ego. I mean, something you could share that may help others uh, along their journey.
1: Sure. Well, you know, I I just turned 50 this past year, and so, you know, there's a lot of attention to, well, what does the second half of life really look like? And uh, so I did. I, I opened up uh, some Richard Rohr. You know, I know he's somewhat of a polarizing figure, uh, but he has said some really good things about the ego and has really helped me. You know, there, there were seasons where I could look back on the accomplishments, uh, you know, whether it's JAR's whether it's blood water and, and find some darker pieces of this is why I, this is, I, I needed something. I needed to feel important because, um, I didn't necessarily find that sense of value intrinsically. Uh, and so outwardly I, I would create those places and those things. And so there were some of what blood water was, some of what jars and i'm sure this is the case for most people is that it's very much attached to the ego richard war said that the ego has no identity of its own and so it attaches itself to everything else so whether that's status or title or um wealth or whatever it is um, it will attach itself to all that stuff but then when those things start to diminish then it creates um, crisis and And he said, but then there's this other thing that's called the soul and uh, and he describes it and he says the soul it loves it experiences and it lets go and it's the thing that allows us to just stay present in our day. you know titles and things like that are always centered around uh, past accomplishments right? or potentially future work. Um, but the present is where we all actually live and breathe. And so as the ego keeps us away from the present, the soul allows us to just experience what we're experiencing in that moment and then let it go and be ready for the next moment. The aroma of that is wonderful to me. It is how I would choose to live my life if I really sat and thought about it. And so that so that was in... Um, uh, He speaks about it in a few different books. Um, Falling Upward is one of the ones. uh, Immortal Diamond is the other one. So I spent some time with those books, and I think those are great. Um, I've always been a fan of uh, Wendell Berry, and he has a novel called Jaber Crow. And Jaber Crow really speaks a lot about place and people. And I learned a lot from that novel just about the, the value of people and place and the way that we establish ourselves in community. And those are all things that, that I've come to really uh, find important for my
0: own life. Wow. I mean, all of that is so good and so important for leaders because I think that's, that is the challenge when you do have a title or a position that um, that is your identity, that can become your identity. Um, and, and you really have to work hard at it, um, to not let it become that. And, um, those are, uh, thank you for those resources. Cause those, um, and particularly that differentiated between ego and soul. Cause I think that's exactly what I'll say. I'll say colleagues here, but I think in, even in our country about this idea of, um, building community and, um, um, purpose and engagement with each other is really what matters. But we let a lot of times everything else pull us away from that. So, um, yes. no, that's, and thank you for so much. Well, so. Well, so I appreciate your time. One last question. Since this is the Everybody Leads podcast, um, and it's all based on the premise that you don't need a title or a fancy office to lead, um, Is do you have an example somewhere along the line of you saw somebody who really was the, among the most effective leaders you'd seen, and they didn't have a title? They were just leading and impacting and influencing where they were. It's interesting. I mean, I, and not to toot uh, our own horn at Bloodwater, but we have
1: we currently have an executive director named Jake Smith who who has really exemplified that, uh, that idea. Yes, he has a title, but he, um, he has definitely served in a way that has allowed people to feel capable. He's given people room to find their own sense of agency. You know, it's that difference of, you know, assigning tasks versus responsibility. You know, when you assign tasks, you're just creating minions. When you assign responsibility to somebody then you're creating new leaders and I think that's what I've watched him do over the last few years is really just um, assign responsibility and give people opportunity to to fail and to succeed uh, in the in the workspace and I think that's that's been exciting and inspiring to watch
0: that's great what a great example and a great story well I do want to toot bloodwater's horn so if somebody, um, and we'll put the website, you know, uh, in, the, in the show notes, but is there some, somebody wants to engage with Bloodwater or help? I mean, what are some ways that they, or what are some needs, what are some visions that you've got about where things are heading that they could, they could jump in on?
1: Yeah, certainly. Well, you know, one of the things Bloodwater does now, uh, the conclusion we came to is that if you can help support healthy leaders, then uh, they can solve the problems in their own communities. And so we've taken on this partnership Model where where we help serve and grow and teach um, partner organizations that are small grassroots organizations in Africa that are doing the work of uh, of solving the water crisis and health disparities there um, and so that's the way we we function we don't blood water does not um, you know our blood water as an organization we are a support role. Uh, that way. And if that sounds interesting, it's a very different model. Are we helping to end the water crisis? Yes. But we're doing it by making sure that these grassroots organizations are resilient, um, are able to do the best work that they can do um, so that they can keep doing it for years and years and years. Um, And so, yeah, if people want to be a part of that, uh, we would love, love, love their uh, support. Uh, It's just at bloodwater.org
0: www.bloodwater.org. That's great. Well, uh, yeah, I encourage everyone to check it out. And, and Dan, thank you so much for being here, but also thank you for like who you are. And and I said it earlier, but just the fact of um, for decades that you were thinking about and talking about the hard things um, and, and making us all better by having to think and dive into things that maybe we didn't fully understand and Um, and being just to help us to think about justice in different ways. So thank you for all of that and your impact on me and the impact on so many others. And uh, so thanks for your time today.
1: It's been my pleasure.
0: Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you for tuning in to the Everybody Leads podcast. We hope you've been inspired by today's stories of leadership. For more information about Baker Donaldson, you can go to BakerDonaldson.com. You can find additional leadership resources at everybodyleads.org. Also, feel free to reach out to me at any time. Remember, leadership knows no boundaries. It's about embracing your potential no matter your situation or your title. Keep leading with purpose and making a positive impact in your world. And join us next time for more empowering insights. Because here, we believe that everybody leads.